Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. Hey guys, thanks for coming back. We are going to be talking about Matthew chapter 8 this uh, this week. And so in this chapter, there's a lot of miracles. And what I wanted to do off the top is I wanted to share a story with you. This is my personal story, a part of why I got into ministry. But when I was a baby, uh, apparently the way that a child forms in the womb is that it, it rotates in like a 360 degree kind of circular type of way as it as it forms. And uh, in that process, there's a lot of things that potentially can go wrong that just for the most part don't. And I unfortunately had a problem. So what happened is as I was re- as I was turning, my intestines didn't f- like form fully and there was a pinch in them. And so uh, I was I was fine when I was in the womb because that's the umbilical cord that supplies all the nourishment that you need and babies don't defecate in the womb. And um, but the problem came when I was born. So. Given a little bit of time, eventually the doctors got it sorted out. It, but it was through my mom's persistence of constantly going to the doctor and saying, hey, there's something wrong with my kid. A lot of this being because I was the youngest of four kids. My mom was a nurse, so she so she knew for the things to look for uh, in a healthy baby and also with her medical experience and also with her parenting experience. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and uh, the doctor eventually, when he when he he initially told my mom, "Don't worry about it; it'll it'll correct itself. He'll start pooping eventually," uh, because all I would do would throw up food, so my my body would not actually get the nourishments of the food. So he said, "Don't worry about it; eventually he'll start pooping. He'll he'll start keeping food down, uh, and um, and it should be okay. So don't worry about it." Well, a couple days go by and it hasn't changed. My mom is, takes him back to the doctor. She's like, no, we, you need to do something about this. Something is not right. And I, I just know it. Um, and, and here's why. And, uh, and the doctor, uh, eventually, def- uh, diagnosed me with malrotation of the bowel, which is what I explained to you earlier that when I was rotating in the womb, my bowels did not form, um, correctly because there was a pinch in my intestine, uh, and, and they needed to do emergency surgery on me. And keep in mind, I'm like, you know, a week and a half old at this point, maybe. So because we were in the suburbs of Chicago, they were able to helicopter me to the University of Chicago relatively quickly and get me into surgery by the time that my parents drove the 40 minutes up there. And uh, and that was what saved my life. Was, it was a combination of all of that. And uh, I share that story because the more I looked into the statistics, uh, apparently something like one in a million kids have something wrong with this you know, malrotation of the bowel. One in a million babies. And a, a another statistic that I, I don't remember specifically off the top of my head is that something about uh, one in maybe 10,000 um, actually are diagnosed um, uh, before the child dies. And out of that one in 10,000, uh, something again like one in 10,000 are able to figure it out early enough that they can save the baby. So by all means, I am an anomaly. I am a, a miracle, right? I, the fact that I live is a miracle in my opinion. And Jesus does a couple miracles here in Matthew chapter eight. And I just want to go through these real quickly. So Matthew chapter eight, um, when he, when he being Jesus came down from the mountain, we're just finished with the sermon on the Mount, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hands and touched him, saying, I will be clean. 
And immediately his leprosy was cleaned. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So a couple things about this. First of all, is is a lot of what Jesus has to talk about is the posture of, of the heart of people that, that approach him and the people that he, he heals. And uh, one thing that we might notice right off the bat, um, or we might overlook right off the bat that we should notice is that um, this leper does not approach Jesus until he comes down from the mountain, until he has done with his teaching. And so the, the leper waits for the proper time to approach Jesus, which was only, only after his teaching. And in doing so, showed him the respect uh, and authority that he deserved. And then also the line where the leper says, if you will, you can make me clean, is a lot better than Lord cleanse me. Because by saying, uh, Lord cleanse me, it's it's demanding of the Lord. It's, it's saying, do this for me. But if you say, if you will, make me clean, it leaves all authority in Jesus's hands by saying, if you will, you can make me clean. He's saying, if you choose to, you, I know you have the power to do that. And so, uh, so Jesus sees kindly to this and, and heals him. And so he says, I will be clean. And by the word, uh, be clean, the leprosy is cleansed. And, the, and then there's also this, what Jesus says to go show yourself to the priest and offer the the gift of Moses. Well, showing himself to the priest is important because the Old Testament law says that he uh, should show himself to the priest who who has to declare him clean in his own eyes before he's allowed back into the community. So before he's allowed back into the 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 the, the community of of believers. This is specifically back in. Uh, this was issued back in the time where there was the, still the tabernacle. So um, so people would have to live outside if they had leprosy. But then if they showed themselves to the priest, he could confirm with his own eyes and allow him back into the camp. And then there's the gift that Moses commanded. So Moses commands, uh, uh, it's uh, it's two small birds, one of which the priest killed over running water, taking cedar wood and broken scarlet and hyssop, of, uh, and the living bird, he dipped into the blood of the stained bird, uh, over or slain bird, over running water. He then sent the living bird outside the city into the open field. And that was a, a, a ritual that they would perform uh, in the ancient Israelites' time. But, but the way that Jesus says it in this situation makes us think a little bit deeper about this. So, first of all, there's this living bird, which we can interpret to be the living word of, of God uh, in the form of Jesus today, right? And then we have the blood of the slain bird, which is foreshadowing for Jesus' blood, him being the slain person on the cross. And then there's a cedar wood. Now cedar is a is a specific type of wood that uh, that they made sure to to mention in this because uh, cedar is a wood that doesn't rot easy. And so cedar is a really good durable wood especially for uh, long longevity activities. And so um, Jesus says see, uh, using spe- or the specific mention of cedar wood is uh, is a metaphor for the incorruptibility of Jesus's power and uh, Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. Uh, hyssop is is kind of like a, a really sticky substance. Think of it like super honey. And some people believe that hyssop is symbolizes the activity and power of the Holy Spirit because of its its nature. Uh, as scarlet reminds us of the confession in the covenant made with blood. Uh, so the scarlet reminds us of our sins and of us confessing our sins uh, in, in the covenant made with Jesus' blood on the body. Uh, the running water signifies baptism. 
And the sending of the living bird teaches us that uh, that once we are cleansed, that we are to abandon the world and we are to live a part of a new kingdom of God's heavenly kingdom. And so already God here, Jesus here is talking about the kingdom of God and inviting somebody even like a leper into it, saying that the kingdom of God is not just for the clean, but the kingdom of God is for the leper. The kingdom of God is for everyone like we've been talking about all year. Going down to the face of the centurion here, a centurion is a Roman guard, and uh, and Jesus says, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am unworthy to have you come under my roof, but only say a word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said that those who followed him truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, a couple things to notice about this. First of all, um, w- one thing that I, I, I definitely noted uh, don't, didn't pick up on the first time I was reading this is that the centurion um, makes sure to leave him at home. And this doesn't really make sense because if somebody is sick and you, you see them and you know they're like about to die ill, you, you call an ambulance for them or you drive them yourself to the hospital. You take them to, to the healing. You don't leave them at home and say, have faith. I'm going to uh, to go get a doctor and the doctor's going to tell me what to do and I'll come back or the doctor's going to, you know, heal you with telekinesis or something like that. That's, that, that's not the way we do it. And, and that's not the way you should do it. You should, unless you know how to practice, you should call an ambulance or you should take the person to the emergency room yourself. And so, uh, that's, um, uh, it's really odd that he decides to leave him at home, but his, his leaving him at home demonstrates the centurion's belief uh, and knowledge and submission into Jesus's authority. And on previous occasion, Jesus's, Jesus responds to the wish, uh, but this time Jesus actually springs forward to it. A lot of times uh, we might see that Jesus simply says, uh, okay, yeah, he, he at the end he does that, um, he is clean. But Jesus tries to spring forward because of the faith that he sees in the centurion. And the centurion, viewing himself as unworthy, showed himself worthy for Christ to come into his house and enter his heart. And Jesus honors his wish uh, and he honors his attention with the gift of the kingdom of God as well. And here's the thing about a centurion is a centurion is a Roman soldier, which means you have to be a Gentile. Centurions were not Jewish people. Uh, centurions were Gentiles. And so he must have been a Gentile. And Jesus here is once again saying that that my power, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is not just for the people of Israel. It's not just for the people who had previously been set apart, but it's for the Jew and the Gentile alike. And therefore, the gospel is for everyone. This is such a prominent theme in Matthew, especially when you dive into to the little uh, the little intricacies of each story. 
Jesus speaks of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith, and he he's, he heals the servant, which signifies that those who yield obedience possess the power of God. Jesus is saying that you are invited into the same kingdom that those like Abraham and Isaac are a part of, which is uh, um, a, a, the kingdom of heaven, and you are invited into that. Next uh, story is Jesus heals many. And when Jesus enters Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. And so one thing to note about here is that Peter didn't press Jesus to come heal his mother-in-law, but they they stayed at Peter's house while they were passing and uh, after Jesus was doing his teachings and his healings. And so Peter understood and the disciples understood that um, their private concerns could not come above the common good. They could not be shown favoritism uh, of healing and of miracles uh, than just a regular person. And the disciples understood that and knew that. And the other part of this is think about the type of house that Peter lived in. So remember, Peter was a fisherman. Fishermen didn't make a lot of money. They were generally very low class and they would have lived in small quarters with lots of people in them. Uh, and Jesus, Peter's mother-in-law was living with them. But Jesus doesn't hesitate to enter their house, teaching us to conquer our pride. Because Jesus is saying that the gospel is not just for the rich, but the gospel is for the poor. And the gospel is for everyone. Next section here is called the cost of following Jesus. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. The scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have airs. Birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury your own dead. Now, the the point of this story is that Jesus is trying to get along. That the worship of God requires actually putting God above all other things we think as precious. This is the definition of idolatry. We we think that idolatry doesn't exist anymore because there is no golden calf around anymore. But idolatry is when you value anything else above God and the worship of God. And so this man is is saying that, let me bury my father. I prioritize that over serving God. The old law also prohibited priests from going near the dead and commanded them to, to keep away even from funeral services for their family as to not to succumb to excessive earthly sympathy. The old priests kind of live by this this rule that whoever wishes to serve God must not let any kinds of kinship to become an excuse on the grounds of preoccupation of not following Christ. That that nothing was more worthy of preoccupying your time than than worshiping God. And the other part of the story is that if we keep on holding off and if we keep on saying Jesus, I'll follow you, but only after I bury my Father, then. It, this comes from personal experience, this comes from teaching, this comes from wisdom, is, is if you keep on holding off on things, there will always be another but first. And so in, maybe next time it's not but first, let me bury my father, but let me do something else first, and then I will come follow Jesus. There will always be another but first. It's it's a lot, think of in terms of uh, of buying a house or having kids or even wanting to settle down and get married. If you really think about it, there will always be another but first, because you're like, I don't want to get married young because... 
I want to travel the world and, and I want to explore places. I want to go to countries I've never been before. Then, then when are you really satisfied enough to settle down? And if, when is there not going to be more to see or more to do? And if you, if you, if you're a married couple and, and waiting to, to buy a house, you, well, if you keep waiting, a lot of times you will always find another thing to take care of until it becomes a necessity that you get a house. And, and the same thing goes with kids. If you constantly wait, like, hey, let's let's wait until this to have kids. There will always be another excuse to say, OK, now we can have kids. And I'm not trying to encourage reckless behavior. I'm not trying to say that. um that you should get married young and buy a house before an apartment and you should um, have kids as soon as you possibly can if you know you want them. I'm not trying to say any of that at all because that would lead you to a financial disaster in some cases. But what I am saying is that there is always another but first. And no matter what, eventually when you when somebody decides to settle down and get married, you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to be able to travel less, but also I might have a travel buddy in the future. And I think I've got at least enough for now. And I'm saying no to all the things that I haven't done just yet. And when you buy a house, uh, you're, you're saying yes to the extra financial responsibility and the extra labor that goes into that and all the other things uh, that, that go along into home ownership. But you, you are also, um, you are also saying no to all the other things uh, that you were saying no for for a while. When you decide to have kids, again, the same thing. You are you are finally saying no to all the other things. You are finally saying yes to uh, I'm uh, I'm ready for the late nights when there's a baby, and I'm ready for uh, all of the the baseball practices and all the softball practices and all all the the dropping off and picking up at school. I'm saying yes to all that instead of other things. And there eventually you have to just say. Let's do it and figure it out. And if you keep saying, wait, Jesus, I will follow you after this, there will always be another after this. Nothing can be more important and more urgent than the kingdom of heaven. Also, Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead here. And this implies spirituality in baptism because the people who are not baptism, we call this when we do our, our practice of baptism, we, when we lower them into the water, we say they're dead to life. And then when they come out, they are they are raised to life. And so those those who are uh, uh, those who are dead to the kingdom, those who have, have not yet been raised to life in Christ, those that are still uh, dead in their earthly flesh are, are the ones who are responsible. Jesus is not saying leave him on the side of the road to rot. Somebody is going to bury him, whether it be another family member or a close friend or the community in general. Somebody somebody is going to bury this person's father. Uh, and uh, and this is also significant uh, all the all throughout this Jesus is speaking of the kingdom which is very very much alive he's not he's saying that if you if you reject the the earth if you reject the dead then you will be alive in the kingdom and then there's uh, Jesus calms the storms. Uh, when he got onto the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep, and they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? See, the reason so Jesus is asleep here, uh, and that shows his humanity. It shows that Jesus is not just some robot. It shows that he is not just uh, some some 
something other than entirely human and entirely uh, God by the calming of of the seas. But the the disciples uh, ask of save us is commendable because it shows their faith. They're saying we put all authority and trust in you who can calm the seas. But after saying save us for we are perishing shows very little faith against those in deep distress saying that uh, that there's a it's not so much about the power of Jesus anymore it's not so much save us and i submit but it's more so like by saying we are perishing we are saying that even though we have Jesus in this boat we we are dying and it shows little faith of of the disciples and of the power of Jesus and of the power of God and the provision of God. I really love this quote by uh, by uh, ancient Christian theologian named Christosom. He says Jesus' sleeping showed that he was a man, but his calming of the seas declared him God. I think that's just a beautiful way to summarize what this passage is is saying, but it also condemns the the faith uh, of of the weak. Uh, it says that your faith should be strong. Your your cry should be, save us. It should be in complete authority. Uh, Jesus performed many miracles in here. And, and I, I mentioned earlier my story. And I really believe I'm a miracle. I, I really believe that because uh, my mom was a nurse. And she was a nurse because her grandma was a nurse. And I was the youngest of four kids. And because my mom was a nurse and was a mother of three before me, she knew that something was not right with me. And we lived just close enough to one of the top medical schools in the world that they could treat that they could treat my um, my malrotation of the bowel. That is a story that I told you at the beginning. Um, there are so many factors to me that consider myself such an anomaly for still living. And and I believe that to be a miracle. I believe that miracles still happen today. And I think that uh, that they might look different. They don't have to. Uh, I believe that modern medicine is a miracle. Uh, I, the medicine that I have to treat my Crohn's disease is itself a miracle. But to, to reject miracles in the Bible, to say that this is just metaphor or to say that this never happened, you have to throw away a lot of the rest of what we base our our faith on you have to uh, re- you have to reject a lot more about what the bible says about jesus you have to reject a lot of the bible and and i wholeheartedly sit here and i believe that jesus healed a leper and that he healed the centurion soldier when he wasn't even near him and that jesus healed many people and that uh, and that jesus can calm a storm in in the, in a boat uh, right after waking up from a nap and uh, I, I wanted to, to tell you all about this because I want you to do a little bit of looking on your own. So Matthew 8 verses 28 through 34 has some uh, really interesting um, uh, some really interesting notes you can take from it. And by listening to this, you can kind of see some of the things that have been happening. And so what I want you to do is go ahead and read Matthew chapter 28 through 34. And then I want you to consider a couple of these things. I want you to consider what is the significance of being specifically a pig. I want you to also consider uh, the, the Jesus' singular command, go. I also want you to cross-reference this passage in Mark 5, especially verses 18 and 20. What are some differences that you notice between these tales?
I want you to think about what is the herdsman's response. And I want you to think about what the city's response is. And I want you to go think about those things. I want you to read this passage. I want you to think about those things. And I want you to uh, to, to try to find the, the interesting things about this passage. And I want you to go and pause the podcast here. And I want to, to give you a couple of the uh, the things that I have um that I, th- I think are really powerful about this. So go ahead and pause. Try to answer these things on your own. Try to study it on your own here. And uh, and then come back and, and, and kind of finish up here. So some of the things I hope you noticed in the in this passage are, are the significance of a pig. And a pig is a very filthy animal and and the demons are very filthy creatures as we know i mean pigs literally filthy but demon metaphorically filthy and pigs filth is also um a metaphor for the uncleanliness of sinners and so the the pig is is very significant of 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 the sinners of the demons only getting permission to uh, to to not be with god's people uh, the the Jesus singular command as go uh, recognize is is two part. First of all, it's the power of God to be like all Jesus has to do is say go and evil is away. But it's also the submission of evil. They the demons have to ask for permission uh, from Jesus to do what they want because they recognize and submit to the authority that he has. And that's that's some really powerful stuff right there. Uh, the third thing is that uh, this is Mark uh, Mark 5 um uh 18:20 comparison is that the the demon possessed men uh, are commanded to speak of what he had heard. And the next time that Jesus is in the area, he feeds the 5000 and you have to wonder did these guys do such a good job that Jesus is so easy, so easily feeds and preaches to 5,000 people? Did the, are these two singular people responsible for 5,000 people hearing about Jesus? That's, that's just something to marvel at. It's a theory, uh, but it's just, it's still something to marvel at. Uh, the other thing would be the herdsman's response and the herdsmen go and share and speak of what they have seen. And, and, and the, the, this, this, they, they, they talk about all that they've done. And, and there's a verse in Acts, this is Acts uh, chapter four, verse 20, but they say, we cannot help, but what we have seen and heard that, that there is something so powerful about what they have witnessed that they need to speak about what they've seen. And the herdsmen do just that. If I saw Jesus command two demons to go into a pig, I would never, ever, ever shut up about it because I could not help but speak and share of the things that I had seen him do. And, and the city's response, this last thing is the city is, is in, in, in a very literal way, this city's response, but it's also a metaphor of the synagogue's response. And so the city itself responds, responds negatively and rejects Jesus. But the synagogue does the same thing. The, the synagogue, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're constantly rejecting Jesus, trying to challenge him and eventually are responsible for his death. And so um, there's a lot in this story that I think is is really incredible. There's a lot in this chapter, a lot in this Bible that I think is incredible. And I, and I hope that today you got the tools to think critically about some of the things uh, that go on in the Bible that uh, like that are miraculous. Uh, and I hope that you can can continue to see uh, the value and a new perspective each time you look at these. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. 
If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.